Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You know, these laws were given to the children of Israel to, to purify them and, and to make them different from the nations that were surrounding them. In fact, the very nations that they were going to dispossess, the Canaanites, those seven nations, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, you know, there, there's a, all those ites. God was going to dispossess them, bring his people in. And why? Why was he going to dispossess these people? Because he had somebody that he just wanted to move into the neighborhood? No. The Bible says that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full when they, were in, when they were in Egypt. God gave them 430 years, folks, to repent of their sin. Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ Radio. In our study today, Pastor Rob analyzes the specific laws of sexual morality handed down from the Lord to the nation of Israel. In this three-part series, we learn that God is very clear regarding His will and plan when it comes to men and women relationships. Because he knows the harm it can cause, God laid out intricate rules for the nation of Israel so that they did not get caught up in the sinful ways of lives of the pagan nations that occupied the land prior to their arrival. Let's turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 13, and follow Pastor Rob. We could open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 22. We are still in this third address of Moses as Moses was taking this second generation into the promised land, remember the first generation had passed away in the desert in their unbelief for 40 years. They wandered around in the desert, and that generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief, and God tried them out there to see if they would be obedient to him or not. And, and God's, God's commandments are not grievous, they're, they're life. But yet, in the heart of man, there is always this desire, this unwillingness to be shackled to anything. We think that real freedom is to be free from boundaries, to be free from anything that would restrain any expression of this nature, of anything within us. And, and God says, no, I have to confine it. I have to put boundaries around it, for if I don't, there is going to be complete chaos. And folks, we're living in a day where there's complete chaos because the boundaries have been so blurred and so ill-defined, and yet God's Word has defined them very clear for us. But we have advanced. <laughs> Our culture has advanced, and now we know better than God, don't we? We, we? we think that we know what's best, and so we blur those boundaries. We shun those things that God says, don't do this and don't do that. And why does he do those things? Because he loves us. I love my daughter, and when she was young and she was riding her big wheel straight out the front of our driveway, I, we'd put cones up there at the end, and we'd tell her, honey, don't go beyond those cones. 
because there's cars coming by there and, and they could hit her and they could kill her. And we'd have to punish her if she got too close to those cones. We'd say, don't go any, anywhere near those cones. And why did I do that? Because I was trying to restrain her creativity, to restrain what she felt in her heart. Dad, I just feel like I, I got to do this for the sake of womankind. No, no, I tell her not to do that because I don't want to lose her. As a father to a, a daughter or to a son, you say that to your child because you love them. You don't want them to, to get hurt. And the same thing with God. He knows what he's doing. He created us. He knows what's in man. And so, therefore, he has to put guidelines around man. Let me just give you an example of what freedom really is. Freedom is, ha- is living within boundaries, very clear, defined boundaries. I remember one time in a composition class when I was at, at the Eastman School of Music, the teacher uh, proved a point. And he said, if I gave you a, if you had to write a term paper and, and it had to be a composition that you had to write yourself, if I just told you you could do anything you want, as long as you want any genre, any period of music, any style that you wanted, however long it could be, it could be 16 bars, it could be a symphony, it could be a sonata, it could be a rondo, a piano, whatever, doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. And everyone kind of, you know, their eyes got really big. He says, or I could tell you, you have to do, I want this composition to be this long, I want it to be in this key, and I want you to, you know, he would give, even give you the theme, and I want you to play with that theme and, and build support around it so it'll be a little bit different from everybody else's. And everybody agreed that the second option was better because now you got some framework to deal with. But as soon as you got everything, all of a sudden you're going to be, for three weeks, you're going to be wondering, what, what should I do? What should I do? There's so much out there. I could do anything in any style. What am I going to do? Do I do something in the classical thing? Do I do something in the Baroque period? Do I do some romantic thing, some 20th century atonal music? What am I doing? But see, God gives us boundaries, and they're clear. They're clearly defined, and woe to the culture that says, no, God, we will do it our way. And folks, we are living in that time Things are chaotic. And that's why when we return to the Word of God, and as we read, especially in Deuteronomy, especially tonight, chapter 22, we were looking at various uh, miscellaneous laws. And you remember last week we looked at them. And some of them were talking about when a, a brother or sister or somebody in your, in your culture, and in this case the Jewish culture, when they would lose something, it was your opportunity to see if, if you found it. It was your, oppor- your responsibility to keep that animal. If you saw an animal out in the street, you would take it in until the owner came and said, oh, that's mine, and you would take care of it until he does. And those are all good things. And we looked at the due diligence that you would do if you were building a home and you had a upper deck with no no siding around it, you know. You look out at the edge and there's 60 feet or whatever dropping off. You want to make sure you have some kind of deck surrounding the, the edge of that thing so nobody gets hurt. You do that. It's a due diligence. God says it in his word. It's, it's a really good idea. So nobody gets hurt. And he talked about sowing different kinds of seeds, you know, even in the field. Keep your raspberries, your raspberries. Keep your peaches, your peaches. Whatever it is that you're doing, keep them separate so there's not confusion I don't know about you, but the last time I ate a raspberry or I ate a nice, delicious, ripe peach, pretty good just the way they are. We don't need to go messing with them and start twisting things. No genetically modified organisms. 
<laughs> That's just my opinion. But God says, don't mix those things. And the same thing with garments. And now we get into verse 13 where it talks about laws of sexual morality. And so what I thought we'd do is we just read the rest of this chapter, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. So look at me with me at verses 13 through the end of the chapter. It says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her, and charges her with shameful conduct, and brings a bad name on her, and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. Then the father and mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate, and the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detests her. And now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found for your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city, and then the elders of that city shall take that man and punish him. And they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver. You might want to underline that word, 100 shekels of silver. And give them to the father of the young woman, because he has brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. But if the thing is true and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house, so you shall put away the evil from among you. And if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die the man that lay with the woman, and the woman. So you shall put away the evil from Israel. And if a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So shall you put away the evil from among you. But if a man's If a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so in this manner. For he found her in the countryside, and the betrothed woman cried out, but there was none to save her. And if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver. You might want to underline that. And she shall be his wife, because he has humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. And a man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. And so these are, this is a tough chapter. And as we look at it, you know, I think of our own culture, and I think if, you know, these laws were given to the children of Israel to to purify them and, and to make them different from the nations that were surrounding them. In fact, the very nations that they were going to dispossess, the Canaanites, those seven nations, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, you know, there, there's a, all those ites. God was going to dispossess them, bring his people in. And why? Why was he going to dispossess these people? Because he had somebody that he just wanted to move into the neighborhood? No. The Bible says that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full when they were in in Egypt. God gave them 430 years, folks, to repent of their sin. 
of their idolatry. They worship false gods, and in the in the worship of that false those false gods, they did all kinds, all different forms of sexual perversion. Everything under heaven, detestable things, and they would not repent. And God says, I've had enough. And God has the right, folks, to know where to draw the line. And again, in our culture, in this politically correct culture that we live in, God's word doesn't fly. But it flies with me, and I hope it flies with you, because it's truth. And you know as well as I do, when, when our boundaries are clearly defined and we push those walls back, we are headed for a disaster. And folks, we're living in that disaster right now. We are receiving the fruit of our doings, the fruit of, uh, of everything. And it's an unfortunate thing. Let's go back to verse 13. It says, If any man takes a wife and goes into her and detests her, and charges her with shameful conduct and brings a bad name on her and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin. And the idea of a bad name is a bad reputation. God cares about the reputation of his ladies. Ladies, you belong to Jesus first before you belong to your husband. He is, he is all of our husband. We all belong to him as the bride of Christ. He is our husband. He cares about you. He cares about your reputation. He does. And it says in verse 15, Then the father and the mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidences of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And at the gate of every city, it's, it's a little different in our culture because we have like a, usually a town hall where matters of judicial matters, those things, business, those things are often done there. But in these cities, it would be at the very gate of the city. That's where they would meet. And so they would, uh, they would do those things there. And it says in verse 16, And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man, and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin. And yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. You know, God cares, again, about these things. It's important for a man and a woman, before they're married, to remain pure. It's, it's important for that to occur. And in this day and age, and in other cultures in the Middle East, they all did this. Whenever a woman was married to a man, she was a virgin. And there was evidence of that on their wedding night. And the parents would actually keep the, the sheets of that night. They would hold it, they, they would hold it as, a, as a means of proving. And it keeps the man accountable, doesn't it? And it keeps any man, if he dies and, and, and she remarries another man as a result of her husband's death, they have the evidences. Because, of course, she's no longer a virgin at that point. So this new man who might marry her, the family can say, we have evidence. This was her first night. This was her first moment of intimacy. You know, even though this would prove highly embarrassing to the young woman, perhaps, maybe not in that culture, but I know in ours, every face would be red, <laughs> and everybody would be squirming, trying to get out of the way and hide themselves. But notice that God, again, he cares about the reputation of his people. He cares about ladies. And this law protected women from being wrongfully used and exploit it. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that that hasn't happened in history in any culture, a woman being wrongfully, you know, uh, used and exploited. I mean, that doesn't happen even in our country, does it? I mean, I don't know why it's here, right? Of course, it's very common. So God says, I'm going to put this in here because I want my ladies to be protected. Because why? Because he knows the heart of man. 
You know, in some cultures, a man could burn a woman's toast, or a woman could burn the toast at breakfast, and he would divorce her, and he would beat her. And these things happen in real life over in the Middle East. These things happen. But God loves people. He loves all people, not just the Jews. He loves the Gentiles. And you know, I wonder if our young girls today care about their reputation. There once was a time where uh, a reputation of a young lady was something that was really important, but it seems like even in my own time, as time has gone on, even from when I was a young in my teens, I found that as time has gone on, the desire, the, the concern for a, a reputation to be pure is completely gone. There was a time when it was important. But now, because of peer pressure, now because of our, uh, our wicked and adulterous ads and campaigns that you see on the billboards and on the movies and the music, and everything is so twisted. Everything is so highly sexual. So much so that the ladies, they have to, they're compelled to look like that billboard. They're compelled to look like that cover of that magazine. And why? Why do they feel like they've got to do that? For a simple reason. Because when men walk by, what do they do? Their eyes fall out of their head. And what does that do to a woman? They think, wow, if I really want to capture the heart of a man, I've got to dress like a harlot. (laughs) I've got to look like that. That's That's the goal. That's the standard now. It has been. Has it not? I think it has. And it's really unfortunate. It's really horrible. But the devil has done a good job devaluing purity in our culture so much that it's more acceptable to lose your virginity as quickly as possible so as not to be looked on and ridiculed and called Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. And that's the way it is. Teens and young people don't often feel like they fit in our culture and around their friends unless they have lost their virginity. It's become an unfortunate and dangerous rite of passage. And I'm just being honest. I can speak to you adults tonight. Dad, you care about your daughters and your son's reputation. Your sons as well. You know, it's also an unfortunate thing that dads will encourage this kind of sexual innuendo to their sons. They learn from their dads about how to look and to speak at women. Guys, I would encourage you, everywhere you go, keep your eyes single. Keep your eyes to your own wife. And especially this time of year, keep your heart right. Keep your mind pure. Job says, I have purposed in my heart to not look upon a maiden. And we need to do the same as well. And ladies, I would encourage you to be modest in your apparel. Again, not a popular thing. So important, though. Verse 16, it says, And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man, and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. He lays it out in front of them. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And then, verse 18, The elders of that city shall take that man and punish him. And notice, And they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver. Underline that, 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman. Why? Because he has not only brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel, which God hates. 
She's a virgin. Why are, you, why are you making it sound like she's something other than that? God takes that very seriously, and so ought we as well. Because he's brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife, he cannot divorce her all of his days. We're going to look at this 100 shekels of silver, but we'll wait till we, and later in the chapter we'll come back to this. But God makes sure he covers the bases for every wicked thing that a person may conjure up in their heart. Doesn't Jeremiah say, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things? Who can know it? It is true. That's why we have the Word of God. It's our compass. It's our guide. It's our anchor. It's the thing that keeps us sane. Because I'll be honest with you, that some of the legislation that I'm hearing, folks, it's insane. I mean, have you ever stepped back and just tried to look at it as objectively as you can? And you're thinking, my Lord, we've lost our bearings. We've lost our minds. How is it that this is happening? Verse 20, But if the thing is true, and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Why? Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. And why? Why is this? Why do you do this? So you shall put away the evil from among you. Let me say this. I mean, obviously, we live in an age of grace, and we have laws in our land. And, you know, think about what life in America would be without laws. It would be completely chaotic. It would be completely chaotic. But once, can you imagine the first couple of times in, the hist- in Israel's history when they actually have to do this kind of thing? To see something so barbaric, to see something so serious. I mean, think about it, guys. Your daughter... How would you feel about that? She does this. Your heart is in shambles. You'd be willing to take her place. Say, guys, stone me instead. Let my daughter live. But yet you have to take your own daughter out to the elders. And let me tell you, you do that, that happens once or twice in a community, and there is great fear. There is great emotion. And it really is supposed to be that way. Have you ever seen a lamb die? When we think of Jesus on the cross, when he hung on the cross, it was a murderous thing. Crucifixion is one of the most torturous forms of death known to man. It was horrible. It was bloody. It was, it was incredibly gory. And yet for all of that that Jesus went through on the cross, we know that it wasn't so much all of the nails and the the spear in the side and the crown of thorns and the blood and the lashings. It was that he made his soul, it was made an atonement for our sin, for the sin of man, of all mankind. I seen a video one time of an Orthodox Jew actually going through the process of a lamb, sacrificing a lamb. And it was really clinical, and it wasn't like I thought it was. But it brought me to tears. Honestly, it did. They took this little lamb, and there's a, there's a vein on the side of the neck of the lamb. And they were able to identify that, and they would just hold it kind of like, like that. And they would take a razor blade, and they would just slice it. And the blood of that lamb would just go out. If you've ever seen a lamb, it's the cutest thing, innocent, pure, without spot, without blemish, this animal that you could have in your home that your kids would play with. And I saw the blood of that lamb just empty out, and then finally it would just 
it would just slowly go to sleep and it would convulse and then there was Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.